Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our live broadcast. Tonight we are looking at Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Fours, number forty one. Chattaso ima bhikave samadhi bhavana. O monks, O bhikkhus, O those of you who have seen the danger in samsara and look to bring yourselves out of suffering and into peace and happiness. There are these four cultivations of samadhi. Bhavana, cultivations, development. Samadhi means focus or concentration. The Sudha is um, I think quite interesting in providing us with a look at how not all meditation is the same, not all cultivation of concentration is the same, not all concentration leads to the same result. Or different concentrations, different practices of meditation lead to different results because this is a question that people have and a confusion that arises we have the idea that meditation um, leads to certain a cer certain results and so it's common for people who come to meditate here in, in the uh, insight meditation center but they're looking for calm and they're looking for peace like peaceful feelings tranquility Sometimes people practice meditation looking for healing or for magical powers perhaps, astral travel, or even looking for spiritual insight but having a, having a, a broad variety of 
understandings as to what insight is. So, still often have di or still have diff very different ideas about what is insight. What does it mean? What is the wisdom that we're looking for? And so this sort of puts to rest the idea that that there's only one type of meditation and it also provides some framework and understanding the differences in meditation so that um, not not having expectations beyond what your meditation will will your meditation practice will most likely provide. A lot of people have the idea that through the practice of tranquility meditation you can gain insight, for example. Now I would contest that, but in many cases there are in many cases of tranquility meditation there will be no cultivation of, of insight, not directly. Not in not using that technique, certain techniques, and this is, I think, a problem for a lot of people because they get lulled into the idea that they're somehow enlightened and they've skipped the whole cultivation of insight, not realizing that there's a very deep and vast plane of insight development and wisdom that they're they're missing. So let's look at these four and we can get an idea of the, f the different types of meditation that exist based on the, f the results. So the first one the Buddha says, Atibhikve Samadhi Bhavana. There is this cultivation of concentration, Bhavita Bahudikata. When developed, when made much of, Dita Dhamma Sukha Viharaya Samvatati which is for the dwelling in happiness in the here and now or in present reality, visible reality that's number one number two atibhikave samadhi bhavana bhavita bahurikata there is this cultivation of concentration which when practiced, when made much of Jnana dasana patilabhaya samvatati leads to or is for the purpose of attaining knowledge and vision. Number two, number three, atibhikave samadhi bhavana bhavavita bhavulikata sati sampajanyaya samvatati. There is this meditation which is for the purpose of cultivating or attaining mindfulness and clear comprehension. Number three and number four, samadhi atibhikave samadhi bhavana bhavita bhavudikata asavanang kayaya samvatati. It is for the purpose of the destruction of the taint. The, the, the poisons in the mind. So one for being happy in the here and now, 
one for gaining knowledge and vision one for gaining mindfulness and clear uh, mindfulness and clear comprehension and one for destroying one's poise the poisons in the mind that cause suffering for us and others And then he goes on to explain these four. This is um, really good sutta that has explanation, a description of these four types of meditation. So the first one, what is the meditation that leads to concentration, or leads to hap dwelling happily in the visible reality, like here and now, like without having to wait for happiness? This is the four jhanas. So if you've heard of these four jhanas, and everyone asks about these, if you've heard and read any of the Buddha's teachings, you'll often hear about these. And so he describes how the first jhana is secluded from sensuality, is secluded from unwholesomeness, which has rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. And the second jhana, and the third jhana, and the fourth jhana, which is equanimous, mindful, and dwelling happily. happily. No, that's the third jhana, right? Fourth jhana, third, fourth jhana. These are concentration, these are meditations that are we call tranquility meditation, where you focus your mind on a single object, a concept, like a color, or you, know, you create something in your mind, you focus on an idea or maybe you focus on on many ideas you focus your attention on beings for example loving kindness or you focus on the parts of the body or you focus on a color or an element like earth or so on and your mind becomes very calm and very focused because the concept is stable it's something you can sink your mind into and, and rest in it without being disturbed by the vicissitudes of life because it doesn't change. This we don't practice here. This one we sort of put to the side, to the to the dissatisfaction and disappointment of many meditators I know. Yes, it sounds so wonderful, and it is wonderful. It's a great thing to do, but we really don't have the time to go through all that and to cultivate all that um, strong concentration, strong absorption. So if you have the time, you're welcome to develop it. There's no question that it's a good thing. But whether it's actually worth the time when you are when you have limited time, and when... You have lots and lots of defilements to get through. It might not be the best use of your time. Because it doesn't lead to overcoming the taints. It doesn't lead to the other three, really. It can lead to the second one. So the second one... The second one is... Uh, well, the Buddha describes it in a fairly... somewhat surprising manner, but I think it's um, something that we really don't... Um, and we, we don't, we don't. It doesn't really 
So it's something we easily understand. He's, he says, knowledge and vision, you use, uh, you, you focus on the concept of light. You have the perception of light. So I think the idea is to be able to see, to have vision. And the commentary says this relates to the divine eye. But generally what this idea is, is that you're, you're trying, I mean, people talk about opening the third eye. So my guess is it has some relation to the third eye and that kind of thing. I mean, it's all about magical powers. Knowledge and vision means knowing things that are beyond the knowledge of ordinary beings and seeing things that are beyond the vision of ordinary beings. So when you can see things far away, you use light to do that. You imagine light, because when you close your eyes it's dark and you imagine a shining light in the room around you, which allows you to see the room even with your eyes closed. And so you're there, there, thereby, through that practice, you're able to eventually see things far away if you have a strong concentration. So there are meditations like that, and there's many more. This this would also include any kind of magical power that one might develop. You can have the divine ear, which means you can hear things far away, and you develop that in its own way. There are meditations that allow you to do that, to remember your past lives, to fly through the air, astral travel and all that. Thus, with a mind that is open and uncovered, he develops a mind imbued with luminosity. Anything that leads to abhinya, special knowledge and vision. So these two are really samatha. They go together. You know, the first one is is the standard practice of of tranquility meditation. The second one is advanced practice of tranquility where you actually use it, you manipulate. So you would manipulate this stable object in certain ways, like in this way there would be light and you'd manipulate it to use it to brighten the room in your mind's eye and that kind of thing. And you can manipulate the, the tranquility in, in many different ways. But it has nothing to do with reality. Um, even seeing things far away doesn't have anything to do with the reality underlying the vision. For that, it, you don't need the divine eye to see reality. And so there are two more. The, the other two are more related to mindfulness and, and insight. So the third one, the concentration that leads to mindfulness and clear comprehension. Is the practice of Satipatthana. Seeing the arising of the four Satipatthana, the rising of, of experiential reality. So for example, when you're practicing tranquility and you become very peaceful and calm, as everyone here is, should be aware, that 
the practice of the, the practice of mindfulness would be to focus on the calm. You actually take that calm or that happiness as your object because it's real, and you focus on it. And when you focus on it, you're no longer developing it. You're no longer feeding it. And so you see it fade away. And you get to see your reaction to it fading away. And you get to learn about the underlying reality behind the meditation. It's like a meta-meditation, M-E-T-A, where you, you, you step outside of your habits and you start to study them and learn about the way you relate to reality. And so you watch the experiences arise, persist, and fade away. This is this is separate from the fourth in the sense that it's 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 in and of itself a, a meditation because it's living your life mindfully. The Buddha says, for mindfulness and clear comprehension. I mean, this is what allows you to be present in all your experiences and all the the, the, the challenges and conflicts that you face in life. The ability to make wise decisions depends upon this kind of clear comprehension to be able to deal with your life you know, with an objective, clear and fully present mind a mind that is able to look beyond partiality and ego and delusion, ignorance, mind's able to see what's really going on. So when you're in a conflict, you're able to be aware of your emotions and you're fully aware of the other person and, and their state of mind as you uh, are present with their behavior and their actions. you can use this in a worldly sense, it's a great, I mean, a lot of people who come to meditate will immediately feel the worldly benefits of mindfulness meditation, even before they become enlightened. You don't need to focus your mind or calm your mind, simply studying and adjusting your mind so that you can see things, you can study things objectively so that you can learn about how your mind works and how reality works. Just by watching, just by watching the reality but, but not cultivating a, a, a focus on a single object, watching ordinary reality as it comes and goes. Somewhat like choiceless awareness, they often call it. You don't choose. You know, even if you have an object, you, you will let your mind wander, and when it does wander, you will catch it, and you will watch it, and you will learn and study it. 
number three. Number four. Number four is like advanced. So it's this is kind of like beginner advanced, beginner advanced. So the third one is a, sort of a basic. It's a simple. It's rudimentary, or it's it's the foundation of mindfulness, if you will. But the fourth one is the application of that mindfulness in such a way that you actually change the way your mind works, in the way that you, in such a way that you. change the way you look at reality and that you free yourself from bad habits you free yourself from reactions and, and you free yourself from stress and suffering so the fourth one is specifically relating to the five aggregates it's very much so it's actually quite similar to the third one description but it relates to actually applying mindfulness not just to solve your problems and live your life aware and, and alert but to actually change the way your mind works and it's very much it's, it's, it's sort of the same meditation in, in many ways but it's the application because once you apply mindfulness you you enter into another state a state of uh, perfect wisdom and knowledge of the nature of reality it is not stable satisfying controllable it is not worth clinging to and the mind lets go the fourth one you might say is really referring to nibbana as we were talking about last night, the magajitta, the first taste of nibbana is what destroys the defilement. So it's actually a super mundane meditation. It's outside of samsara. It's outside of the realms of arisen reality. There is no arising. There is no ceasing. There is only peace and freedom. So it's most interesting for the the clear description of the difference between tranquility meditation and, and insight meditation. That there clearly are, and this is something, this is um, clearly investigated, something you can investigate, you can see this clearly with different types of meditation practice. Some of them just make you calm and peaceful, some of them have superior motives or, or beyond just tranquility in terms of cultivating special knowledge and vision. But other meditations, mindfulness meditation is much more about learning about yourself, learning about the way your mind works, not using your mind, but learn using your mind to learn about your mind and ultimately to free yourself from suffering, to uproot the tendencies to be greedy or angry, uproot the delusion that makes us think that those things could ever be of any benefit. So, 
a very, very it's a an important sort of uh, this is a core teaching on the four types of meditation. It's also found in the Sangiti Sutta. The Sangiti Sutta is uh, a gathering together of many of the important um, lists, if in in or groups of of groupings of dhammas in the Buddha's teaching. Sariputta put this list together. We think. I think that's the tradition, and it's got a list of all the different, like four of this, five of that, the, the, the most important ones. It's in the Diga Nikaya. And it was, Sangiti means chantings or something like that. So it's the sutta that should be chanted. So these four are in there. Anyway, I think we should be happy that we're practicing. This one, one reason for teaching this is it helps us to appreciate what we're practicing and the benefits of what we're practicing to realize that there's a reason for the fact that it's um, it's not always peaceful and calm in the meditation that we practice there's a reason for it being challenging stressful well, not stressful but challenging and, and disturbing it's meant to disturb and to stir up the mind to challenge our views and our beliefs. It's not a meditation. That we, the meditation we do is not a meditation. It's just meant to cultivate calm and tranquility. So, that's the Dhamma for this evening. And just stop there. And we'll go on to questions. Robin's here tonight. in the same room, which poses a little bit of challenge for us. I'm actually not sure. I have to make sure. How's the audio? Are we getting complaints yet? No complaints. Let us know if there's any problem with the audio, because we've got a kind of a funky setup here with two microphones. Audio is good, good. Okay, so that's your mic, Robin. Can one of you guys turn on the fan there? Right here, right here. The left one. For turn it to the left. There you go. You can remember to do that every night, because otherwise you guys don't get... Actually, you better not... Wait, oh no. How's that? How's that? Yeah. Are you too? You can get a little closer. Almost. 
Sorry, I'm not sure that I have the correct version here. It's mm. just reloading. It's kind of strange that way, like it's like it wants to reload. But it doesn't like it doesn't actually reload in the end. Oh here it is. You ready for questions, Bande? I'm ready. Hi Bhante. Sometimes during meditation my mind gets kind of disconnected and it's like moments in which I'm asleep but the body keeps straight. I cannot catch it at the beginning and at the end I notice knowing, knowing. Is this due to lack of concentration? Thanks. It's not lack of concentration, it's you could say lack of mindfulness but it's how your mind is. I mean The mind is not perfect and the brain is involved as well, so especially for a beginner meditator. I mean, most commonly this is a beginner meditator problem or it's a problem for a meditator who is struggling with, with ordinary life and meditation together. So it's, you, you, you could say, I mean, one way of describing it would be an imbalanced mind. Why? Because for someone who comes to do a meditation course, after a few days, this works itself out um, for the most part. Now, this phenomenon can, can of course, occur at any time. It, it, it happens because the brain and the mind are not perfect. And so you might start to drift. There are also other, other reasons for it for this kind of experience but for most people it's just a, a beginner thing you know, or a, a part of the struggle to do both you know, worldly things and, and meditation so it's something you have to struggle with and it's not something I would concern yourself with a lot of people get this this is quite common um, so what you should do is when you are able you focus much more on when you are able to be mindful, and as you say, you end it by saying knowing, knowing. If you're worried about it, then you should focus more on that, the fact that you're worried or if you're frustrated or if you feel like you're not getting anything out of your meditation. You know. A big part of the meditation is becoming non-judgmental, right? So rather than trying to fix your mind, learning how to and be present when you can and, and objective about the experiences. Once a meditator has been on one of your courses or has learned the skills of meditating, such as being able to pick up thoughts as they arise, if they don't practice for a while, do they lose the skills? Yeah, I mean... For the most part, you would lose the skills. Now, if you get to the state of being a sotapanna, so if you actually realize, if you if you experience nibbana, there's something that stays with you that doesn't disappear. Now, you might lose some clarity of mind if you don't keep it up, but some clarity of mind will stay. Um, and then, if you go on and and See, the more you, the more you realize nibbana, the closer you become, the closer you come to it, and the more you leave samsara behind. 
So you see Nibbana again and again and again. The meditator will enter into this, for lack of a better word, enter into the state of realization of Nibbana. And, um, that shifts the mind in that direction. Now that doesn't, that doesn't fade away. To the extent that an arahant, someone who has gone all the way so that they have completely freed themselves from defilements, has a, a clear mind at all times. So, so yes and no. I mean, no ultimately. Ultimately, no, we're aiming to keep these things. But you have to attain a certain... You have to get to the point where you experience Nibbana, and, and that's when it stinks. Because it, it changes the very fabric of, of who you are. Bit by bit. Are you all caught up on questions already? Oh, we've got one more just showed up. How have you been? Just a little about me. I work fast food. Occasionally some really nasty people will come in and be really angry and mean to me. Out of spite, I treat them as nicely as possible because I know that by doing so they will suffer. If an action is positive with bad intent, what type of karma does this turn into? <laughs> spite and kind to them. Never heard anyone say that they're nice out of spite, right? That's being real honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's not really nice. Is no. the funny thing, right? It's fake nice. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, this state where you, you see, because nice is in the mind, right? So an action is not positive because in your mind you're, you're goading them or you're egging them on or something. Now, um, but there's a little something there, like suppose you were instead to be patient with them, and not react to them. You might do so thinking this is going to really make them upset, right? You, you could very well make them upset, but it's such a... that because there's something to that, you know. You, you upset people by not reacting. It triggers them. They want you to get upset, right? And then you don't get upset, and they're like, well, you know, why isn't this person getting upset? And they get angry about that. Um, and that is purely wholesome. There's nothing unwholesome about that. Because you're not instigating it. You're not you're not responsible for their state of mind. It's interesting because you could argue that if you were to react to them, get upset, then they might leave you alone, right? That's not really that way. Uh, a deeper explanation would be they've come into your realm because of their defilements. Uh, no, because of a karmic connection that you have. They've come into your realm because you are together in the same... There's some connection that you have with these people. And they're going to stay in that, that realm because they're, they're, they're com coming at you with a lot of negative intention, bad intention. When you don't react to it, you're you're leaving them behind, and they you know, that's jarring to them. Um, but it, it's because of their state, you know. So they get stuck in in that state, and they hurt themselves. You don't. If you stay, if if you react 
and then they, they kind of they're happy because you're reacting and you, you, you're getting angry back at them then you get stuck together with them and you prolong this relationship right when you rise above you leave it to them and then they hurt themselves they they but they end it you know they end it with you they can no longer grasp at you I mean it's it's quite unpleasant for them because they have to experience the uh, the stress and the suffering well just as you do except that you don't react to it so th there certainly is that I mean I'm maybe not explaining it it's hard to to describe but if you get to that state I mean if you're a meditator you probably experience this where you're uh, hopefully you've, you've had this experience where you're you're confronted by someone and you just are mindful and at peace and then maybe they're st still very upset but you know see it out because you'll see the benefit you'll see the good result that they have to deal with there the Buddha said it's like they give you a gift and it, and it still belongs to them I mean they have to taste the the, the flavor of their own the, the meal they've served to you they have to taste it themselves it comes back on them and uh, and and you generally find that it's a good lesson for them and they're given the the, the taste of well they're given the taste of of your purity as well whereas it it doesn't actually solve anything to react badly even though it's what they expect and it's what they want it just prolongs the the relationship you know keeps you keeps you down in that realm of reactivity because it cultivates the habit it's an interesting idea um, but but when, when people are nice it's it's almost right because the idea is well I won't get angry because I know that's what they want and that perpetuates this whole bad habit that they have but we 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 don't have w without meditation we're unable to do the right thing and so we fake it by pretending to be nice oh yes well thank you yeah. and uh, inside our mind is seething inside we're we're very angry you know wishing them harm that kind of thing so it's not really nice you're not really being nice um, although it can be complicated. You, you can have a good intention to them you know, in, mixed in with that right? so when you suppose you're a server and they come in and, and you, you're very nice but you give them you know you give them what they want hoping you know that they be happy that kind of thing it's very complicated karma is not something you can boil down to this that I did there was was a good karma or a bad karma it's all very momentary But there's a lot of problem with pretending to be nice. It's not really good karma. Just remember, it has nothing to do with your actions or your speech. It has everything to do with your in, your state of mind that's behind it. Isn't a sense of well-being from samadhi useful for having courage to delve into unpleasant or scary things in the mind? I mean that's uh, sure, but um, you know, I think you're maybe overthinking or over, perhaps uh, overselling it. 
because it's not really necessary. You know. When things are unpleasant or scary, the best way is to face them head on and learn about them. Learn about your, f to confront your fears. There's nothing scary. There's no such thing as an unpleasant or scary thing. So things that we react uh, as being scary or unpleasant. Useful, yes, of course, it's useful. But how useful? I mean, I think people oversell the value of it. There's no, there's no way but forward. You have to face your. And the, and the big challenge is not, the big challenge is not being unable to face them. It's being kind of lazy or being more inclined to pleasant things. Just not doing it, really. The big challenge is actually doing it, and and that's often the problem with tranquility meditation is that it's so much more peaceful. So uh, rather than actually doing mindfulness meditation, people will look for will will incline towards tranquility meditation. It sounds so nice, right? But there's n there's no way but forward. You have to just learn to bear with unpleasant sensations and things that you find problematic. Learn to see them as they are. Pante, do your students tell you that they find courage from insight meditation as well? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a part of it for sure. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's much more real, right? That's where real courage comes from, when you see that you can face, that you can fix, not fix, but you can overcome and free yourself from the problems. I don't think the courage that comes from tranquility meditation is all that powerful. It's not related to the problem, right? If anything, it gives you relief, so you can always go back to it. So it, 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 in that sense, there's courage in terms of restoring your 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 peace of mind. Because if you just do straight insight meditation, of course, it's very difficult, and it can be discouraging in that sense. There are, you know, it is a common thing for meditators to to have a have a hard time facing, you know, just keeping up with the stress and the suffering. Which, you know, I guess is really what this person is saying. The, the question is valid. Mm -hmm. So, the idea that samatha meditation could help with that, yeah, sure. I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I, it's not that big of a deal, really. How helpful it is. It's helpful, okay, helpful. I mean, I'm not going to deny it, but.
I think a big th big thing is the difference between meditators. So everyone come people who come here to meditate they're not all the same. And some people who come to meditate simply practicing satipatthana is not enough. So they come and they may fail. Now that's very that's actually quite rare. We don't get that many people who come and aren't able to finish the course. I mean, some people don't have the time. But here I have four meditators and I would say my expectation is they should all finish the course, right? And they're not doing any samatha meditation. So I mean, this of course anecdotal, what are four people, but this is generally the case. Now each one of them is different, and they've all dealt with this, um, this sense of discouragement, feeling discouraged, or they're dealing with it, and they may still deal with more. Well, certainly they will. Um, So for some people, the Buddha might have a better way of doing it than we can see, than I can see, certainly. So he may give them some samatha meditation to do. And that somehow give, empowers them, as you say, gives them this encouragement. But by and large, most people are able to, to get by with just insight meditation. They save time because they don't have to do the tranquility. And it's, um, you know, it's less risky because not all samatha meditation is the same and it's custom tailored to individuals and you know, without the Buddha here to advise us, we take the safe path and give you what we know is good and what we know is the core. And for the most part it works. It doesn't always work. But then, you know, for some people nothing will work and they just won't make it. It's very rare. It's not, not common. We don't get many, but we do get some. And even those who don't, they usually, they usually are inclined to come back. Another thing you might argue is that um, some people wouldn't be inclined to come and practice this type of meditation. They might taste it or learn about it and be disinclined. Like we had one person recently, a young woman who uh, practiced a couple of days and, and ran away. A friend of one of our students here, she didn't really know what we were practicing and once she figured it out, couldn't take it. It's not what she was looking for. And so you could argue that Tranquility meditation is a good way to encourage people to practice like that, to practice meditation, because it's much easier on them. So you might argue that tranquility meditation reaches a broader audience. I could go for that. If you're looking to reach a broader audience, you might want to start by teaching tranquility meditation, calm people down. But here's the question, is when you do that, how many of them are actually going to make it on to Vipassana and, and uh, attain the goal? It's a good question, I don't know. I just know that we, with our focus very much on the core aspects of the practice of insight, we get good results with meditators in a fairly short time. In three weeks, someone can go through a whole course of insight meditation. It's quite profound. 
not easy, but it's quite profound. One day, do teachers who teach um, samadhi, tranquility meditation, do they encourage their students to go on to vipassana after? I mean, you're making, you're asking them me to paint everyone with the same brush, but True. You know, is that a leading question? You sound like leading. No. Like, like, like um, uh, what you want to say that you should just say it because some people, some some teachers don't, right? You know that. I really don't. Like I really don't know yeah. because I haven't studied, you know, teachers okay. widely at all. But it, I'm, you know, I'm just curious if mm -hmm. tranquility meditation teachers you know, feel that, that that's the end of it, you know. That well, obviously some in other religions, they certainly would. Mm. But I, I was thinking that, you know, some teachers think that they've gotten farther than they have. I think mm. that's clearly the case. They only teach tranquility and they think, you know, they, they, they mistake it as insight because they've never really experienced insight. What time in the morning can you start eating if you keep that lifestyle? Thank you. I mean, if you're a monk, we only eat uh, from dawn to midday. Does it literally change in the winter when it's lighter later, or is there a particular no, time? Dawn is the first light. So that's that could be light. pretty late in the winter. Mm. Yeah, in fact, I think we might stretch it a little bit. Most monks do. Most monks don't look at the sun, but I'm, yeah, I've been concerned about that. In Winnipeg, it was a bit of a difficulty. Um, I'm not sure how strict I'll be this year. Maybe I won't be so strict, because people bring food pretty early. Mm. But I'll talk to them and see what we can do. We'll have to see how early, especially when the time goes back, right? Or no? No, when the time changes, it'll actually be better? Uh, the clocks will go backwards in a couple of weeks. Mm. few weeks. Right. So that'll actually mean it gets light later. Doesn't it? No, it gets light earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good for the good for that in that regard. Dawn will be earlier, midday will be earlier. It will be it will be darker later. So it when the clocks go back. It'll be darker earlier. Darker earlier? In the morning? No, at night. No, I, I mean in the morning. It would stay darker later. No. Yes? Um, so if, so when the clocks go back, it would be, okay, all backwards. So we put the clocks back. So then what used to be 7 o'clock is now going to be 6 o'clock. So it'll be darker. <laughs> okay, so. someone put it in chat because <laughs> someone who knows something. Someone who actually knows. So, mm. in in this part of the world, we do this weird daylight savings time, and in a few weeks we'll put our clocks back an hour. And yeah, I think mm. because what we now call seven will be called six, and it'll be dark. I think. <laughs> Sorry. Bhante, does Sama Samadhi refer to Vipassana Jhana, Samatha Jhana, or both? Neither. 
Samasamadhi refers to Lokuttara jhana. Neither vipassana nor samatha refers to Lokuttara jhana of the eightfold of the Magajita. It's a special type of jhana. Which is really an important point because people say jhana is necessary. Well, of course, because nibbana is a type of jhana, but you only enter into that jhana through seeing impermanent suffering and non-self and then releasing samsara. Okay, no one's clarifying for us whether it's going to be darker later in the morning. Okay, I no. think it might be. <laughs> so, uh, let's say today it gets light at 7. And if tomorrow was our the day that we switched it clocks will get back, light it at would six. be 6. So it will get light earlier. And I it will get dark earlier. Now listen, if it gets if today it gets light at seven. Okay. Tomorrow that is actually six. It'll still okay. get light at that time, but okay. now it's getting light at six. So it will be lighter earlier. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I've thought about this because I have to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that in the back of my mind without actually going through it. But Thank you, Bhante. <laughs> you're welcome. I think we're caught up on questions. All right, let's stop there then. Stop overhead. Okay, good night everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks Robin for being here. And Robin Thank came you, with Robin. her husband. And they're going to help, help move some things tomorrow, I think. Good night everyone. <laughs>